All right. Well, welcome once again. We're back. Disability Law Show. The next hour is uh, for us and for you. So tuck in and listen to what we got to, to tell you. If you've reached out already to tomorrow and our team, we thank you in advance. Your email just might make it on uh, this show or another one in the future. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Again, help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, you can simply go to disabilityrights.ca, the firm website, for more information. Reach out, contact. There's always the phone number if you just want to go straight for the kill. Grab a phone, talk to Tamar and her, uh, her colleagues, one 821 5900 Roman already waiting in the wings with an email, tomorrow, but we always uh, get warmed up, loosened up with the week that was something you want to talk about. What's up, pal? Well, you know, it's amazing to me that we have such an increasing volume of people contacting us, John. And I, I credit, you know, our shows and I credit all the things that we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's because insurance companies keep cutting people off. Okay, that's what's really happening. And people are, you know, put into a difficult situation to decide what they're going to do. And so they've reached out to us. We have lots of calls that we take, all of our lawyers on our team. And one resonated with me this past week, and I wanted to start off our show talking about his specific situation. Late 30s, working a a very physical job. Uh, About a year and a half ago, he experienced uh, an injury at work. And and it's a job, you know, it's amazing. He describes it. He's like, I do the same task every day tomorrow and and for 10 years. And this, this one time I did it the wrong way. There was some issue and he injures his back pretty significantly. But he's a trooper because he's been doing a physical job for a long time. And, you know, he went home and he's like, ah, I'm not feeling great. I've got a you know vacation coming up next week. I'm going to take a couple of extra days. And he takes some time off and he feels sort of better, returns back to work. And he manages maybe to work for about four weeks and the, the back issues come back again. And so he had to go off completely off disability. And so a couple of issues came up for him. Number one, he had to make a workers' compensation claim. And so if you are injured at work, you should be asserting a workers' compensation claim. It's paperwork. I grant you that. But it's worthwhile paperwork because you may be entitled to compensation for, you know, extended health benefits and this kind of thing, physio, what have you, and a loss of income. And so you want to make sure that you put that in fairly early on. It's not the type of work that we do, but we see this a lot. Why? Because fast forward, he's also made a short-term and long-term disability claim, which for our listeners, you can do as well. They're not mutually exclusive. Yes, one typically takes credit for the other, but you want to make sure that you're applying for all sources of income that are available to you if you are injured at work. So he goes off on disability. He His employer actually doesn't, didn't have a short-term disability plan. He had to do EI sickness benefits and then ultimately asserted the long-term claim. By the time he came came to LTD, he was denied his LTD claim. And the excuse the insurer gave to resist his claim, so he was never approved and cut off, he just was never approved out of the gates, um, was the fact that he was capable of working with accommodation. So they went back to that four-week period where he returned back to work, where it turns out he was just doing light duties, and he was that was used against him by the insurer to assert that, well, you could continue to return and do those accommodated light duty assignments, light duty work. And they failed to consider two critical things, which was number one, the employer wasn't prepared to continue to accommodate. It was just a temporary thing just to see whether or not he could build himself back up to his actual duties, his actual hours. And two, the doctor's recommendation that he stop working. And the second one is key folks. Like, 
if your doctor is recommending that you shouldn't be working as a result of your health issues, even after you tried to work, like you would think that they would be a no-brainer, the insurance company is staying, still saying no. And that's at odds with what our understanding is, what the law's understanding is of what the test is to qualify for long-term disability benefits. In that initial phase, in the vast majority of disability policies, you have to demonstrate that you are totally disabled from your own occupation. Now, total disabled, like that doesn't mean you're laid up in bed every single day. That means that your health prevents you from doing the essential parts of your job. And certainly for this individual who contacted us, that was the case. So what was happening in a situation like that? And I think that he's getting wedged between the employer and the disability insurer. And so we see this because we are a firm that specializes in employment law and disability law, John. You know this. And so there are lawyers like myself who have a hybrid practice who work both on the disability side and the employment side for these reasons. You know, is this an issue? So, so he came to us and he said, Tamar, am I supposed to go back to the employer and say, you need to accommodate so I can get back to work and actually make some money? Or do I need to go to the disability insurer and fight this with them and saying they got this wrong? And my answer to him was, you know, it might be both, but it really starts with your medical. You want to see what the doctor's recommending. You want to have a heart to heart with your doctor to say, okay, doc, look, if I don't have accommodation, can I return to work? And if I can't, then you want to move that needle with a disability insurer. And that's where the legal claim comes in. That's where our help comes in. Right. But if the answer with the doctor, right, is, well, no, you can work, but we need to put all these restrictions and limitations in place to allow you to do that. Then the answer is to push that envelope with the disability, with the employer rather, and make sure that the employer is doing what they are required to do and meeting their duty to accommodate him in his return while he's pursuing either workers' compensation benefits and or long-term disability benefits. So I wanted to start off our show with this topic because I think that there is many instances where I speak with people who feel stuck between the employer and the disability insurer. And I'm extremely sympathetic because what do you do in a situation like that? And you do want to take a page from your doctor. You want the doctor to actually give you that indication that it's actually safe for you to work or not safe for you to work, especially if you're doing a physical job and have yep. a physical disability. Because if you're going to make your situation worse, then in my mind, it doesn't make sense to be working in a situation like that. But you want to follow that medical advice. And by doing so, it becomes more clear as to what legal rights you should be pursuing. But in a situation like that, make sure you've got the right lawyers involved, ones who are not going to prefer one claim over another. Because, John, I've seen that too, where people have gone strictly to an employment firm or strictly to a disability lawyer or just some random lawyer who doesn't doesn't specialize in either to assert their legal rights, and then they lose compensation, they lose rights, they lose opportunities, not knowing inadvertently, because they simply selected the wrong counsel. And so I thought it was helpful to start off our show in this context, because I think we are well suited to help individuals in situations like this. And because there is some critical importance when you are dealing and struggling with your health to make sure that you've got your doctor on side and that you're getting some clarity from him or her as to what you should be doing with your health and your work. 
Well, I think it's you know it's worth mentioning as well, tomorrow that I know this is kind of bleeding over to what we talk about on the Employment Law Show, but you do both, so you're you're well steeped in all in all aspects of it. That that accommodation factor, it's a really high threshold for employers. They can't simply say, no, it's too much. I don't want to accommodate. They can't do that. It's a really high threshold. So I know that works in tandem with the disability, as far as what you're going to deal with with this particular client in the story you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And look. I don't necessarily expect employers to know all of the ins and outs of of disability necessarily, but surely I expect them to know that, yes, they have a fairly high standard to meet in situations like this. And it's not easy, John, and I understand that. And so, you know, how do you work with an employee who maybe has a partial work capacity? Well, it doesn't matter. You have to do (laughs) as an employer, right? And so you have to respect the boundaries of an employee, especially one like this individual that I spoke with. He was a dedicated, loyal employee. I mean, he's been at this company for 10 years. You know, this isn't a guy who wants to sit around and not work. In fact, he was so compelled to return, he he went back prematurely and and I think may have actually, you know, re-injured himself. So, so look, I think that the employer absolutely has some duties to meet and I just, I would hope that that process is respected and at least engaged, right? I've seen some employers who just just don't want to have people back. They just will ignore the request to accommodate. They will ignore, you know, the requirements that are needed and then, you know, end up with a situation where we have to teach them (laughs) that, look, this isn't the right way to handle your employees and it's going to cost you. There's going to be consequences from a compensation perspective if you are not doing right by an employee who requires that accommodation. Let's get into an email from our good pal Roman says, guys, my husband is on long-term disability for mental health and we have been invited to a wedding. He rarely goes out and I would like for the two of us to attend, but he does not really want to go and is worried this could affect his LTD. Should he let the insurer know? Is it okay to attend a special event? This is a good question, John, because this goes to what I was saying about the definition of disability, right? And insurers have put in these words that you must be totally disabled in order to, you know, be entitled to, to disability benefits. But that total disability doesn't mean that you have to be a shut in. Okay. It doesn't mean that you can't attend a special event. Absolutely. You can, especially if it's the exception and not the rule. Right. And so look, I I certainly don't want Roman to push his husband to attend necessarily if he doesn't want to go. But by the same token, I think that, you know, if there's going to be some value, if there is going to be some improvement perhaps in mood or health, then if it's medically signed off, I have no hesitation recommending for people to engage in their life. That is okay. And in fact, it can be part of someone's recovery, right? When they're in a situation like this and you know, they may need to have these sort of small outlets where they're connecting with family, connecting with friends. And so I think to the point that the question is asked, though, is do I need to let my insurer know? Well, maybe not specifically. So so what does attending the wedding require? Is there going to be overseas travel? Then yes. If it's going to be just driving up for an hour to go to a local, you know, venue and attend, maybe not mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Either way, You want to make sure that your doctor is making clear or your therapist or whoever it is who's involved in your care. You want to make sure that they're making clear that they have encouraged this or endorsed this or they're aware of this so that it is not something later on 
that the insurer comes back and says, hey, I saw in your medical notes here that you traveled to the UK so you could go to a wedding for a family right. member. This must mean that you're not disabled. And, and I have seen this kind of leap in assumptions being made in cutting people off improperly and the insurer somehow feeling that they were misled. No, you want to be open and honest with your insurer, but by the same token, you don't necessarily have a positive obligation to advise them of every little thing that you're doing if it's just sort of a one-off. So it's a little bit of a gray response for Roman, but one that I think is important because I think people ask this question of themselves a lot. If I'm on disability, does it mean that I have to limit all of my activity? And the short answer to that is no. Appreciate it, Roman. Reach out for the phone call, which we always tell you to do to follow up, 1-855-821-5900. We're heading over to mydisabilityquestions.com for a question after a short break as we continue here on the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. Welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking around through a wee break there on the Disability Law Show. Let's roll on Tamar. You want to reach out to Tamar Gopian, by the way, lawyer, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. She's always ready to uh, talk to you, answer your phone calls, your emails, and otherwise got a great team with her as well. The phone number to do so is one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And I mentioned another website that's free and anonymous. You'd ask questions anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. Give that a try. And from it, here we go, Tamar says, I've been on LTD for six years. I had stage three breast cancer. Now I suffer from depression and anxiety. I also suffer from neuropathy in my fingers and toes and my legs hurt since chemo. I've had over eight people pass away in less than two years, including my father and his sister. Both my family doctor and my psychiatrist said it was good for me to get away, take a trip. I want to know if this will affect my LTD, and do I have to tell them that I'm going away? It doesn't say anything about vacations in the LTD policy slash handbook. What do you think, Tamar? This is very similar to our prior yep. question, right, with Roman. I mean, it, it's it's see how often, John, that people are worried. It it it, it worries me how much people are worried actually about. Yeah. You know, what do I tell my insurer? How do I navigate this with my insurance company? You know, I don't want to compromise my LTD. Look, I mean, this this question, my heart goes out to this individual. I mean, it really does sound like it's been it's been a bit of a go, right? With the with the breast cancer and the depression and the anxiety and and obviously, you know, all the people around who have passed away. And so, you know, in this context, to my mind, John, it's some humanity, right? Let's put some humanity to this. You know, it's it makes sense to me that someone in a situation like this would want to take a trip and get away and connect with, you know, existing family members and, and maybe refresh and take some time. And the fact that it's being described as a vacation says a lot to me. I think the that word in and of itself is, is speaks volumes about what this person needs. And if both the family doctor and the psychiatrist are saying, yep, you really should take this trip, then I have no hesitation recommending that the trip be taken. It's true, though, that most disability policies will not have the word vacation in it. Actually, none of them will have the word vacation in it. What they will have in there is a couple of terms that can be used as means for insurers to use these kinds of facts against individuals. And it does happen, which is why people, I think, are legitimately worried. One of the sections says, if you're out of Canada for more than you know, three months or whatever it is, whatever period of time it is, some policies are less time than that, then you may be disentitled to LTD forever or for whatever period that you're away and out of Canada. And so it's true that you want to look at your policy. You want to see what your policy says about 
being absent from wherever you reside or being absent from the country that, that you're in where the policy may be applicable. But this is a bit more nuanced than that. I don't think this individual is actually looking to go away or move away. It's more so taking this short-term trip. And, you know, I think that where you've got conditions that are, you know, self-reported. So neuropathy, for example, is, you know, numbness and tingling in the hands and feet. It's a typical side effect after you go through chemotherapy. Um, you know, mental health conditions also fairly typical for the clients I've worked with anyway, who have been recovering from cancer or cancer survivors. And so these are not conditions that you normally would see, you know, reported on a blood test or on an x-ray, let's say, or an ultrasound. And so when it's like this, you want to make sure that it aligns with your level of function. Insurance companies are obsessed with the idea that huh. If you can do A, it must mean you can do B. So what do I mean by that? For this, for this email rather, for this question from mydisabilityquestions.com, the, the, the assumption, the fear of the assumption is that if you can travel and go away and quote unquote take a vacation, it must therefore mean you have enough function in your hands and feet to do a job. And I would hate to see this individual be cut off for that reason alone. And so the medical information that's available around this time frame becomes critical. It's important for the family doctor and the psychiatrist to say or detail or document all of the ongoing symptoms. And they, they, there could be many because clearly there's some physical issues here and some mental health issues here. Have all those symptoms documented and then make a clear recommendation that, you know, I think this individual could use some time away and we endorse that this is part of their recovery and their treatment. And, you know, we suggest that this individual go and do whatever it is that they, they are seeking to do. And if it is going to be a prolonged time away, the doctors can also endorse that the treatment's going to continue, right? So as long as you're not gone so long that you're not going to continue your treatment with a psychiatrist or your family doctor, I really don't see what the insurer is going to get hot and bothered about. But as I said, it's a fair question because of the insurer's lens of, well, you must have function to do this, so therefore this must mean that you can go and work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to move down to an email from our good pal Bruce, right, since says, guys, uh, currently on LTD and approaching the two-year mark, they switched adjusters who is determined to have me return to work, pushing me to get a knee brace and has me doing physio for the second time. I was a letter carrier for 33 years. I have issues with both knees, hip, and back, and do not feel I'm physically capable of doing the job. I previously did the physio they sent me to and attempted a return to work program and was unable to make it through. Now, going through the same thing a year later and fear the same result as the first time, what are my options? What do I do? Well, look, Bruce, if, if I do my math right, I put you into the 50s range in terms of age, right? I for mean, sure, if, yeah. at least if, you know, if he's been doing the letter carrying job for, for over 30 years. And so... Look, these options are tough, right, John, because it sounds like the LTD insurer is still paying the benefit, and it sounds like they're about to make a decision about whether they're going to continue paying the benefit. And we see this a lot, right? Most disability policies will have two tests to qualify for LTD, and the first test ends usually after 24 months of payments or two years of receiving LTD. And after that, 
The question then becomes, or at least the test in their policies say, are you capable of doing another occupation? Anything in the world for which you've got, you know, the minimum educational requirements, training requirements, and that would put you in a job that would pay you roughly what you're getting for LTD. This is called the commensurate wage or a commensurate earnings level. So I want to I talk about that part, John, because I think that's really relevant to what Bruce describes to us. Because some policies won't necessarily define what that commensurate or alternative wage level is. And even when they're silent, reports have said, look, it's usually about two-thirds of your, of your prior income. And so most people, when they're going through this process with the employer, or rather the insurer, are not necessarily aware that that's now the benchmark for earnings. They just mm-hmm. assume that the insurer is going to actually take their full earnings and take all the work that they previously did and look to see what makes sense for them in an alternative job. But they don't do that necessarily, John. In fact, many of them will actually hire like a, a vocational consultant, some somebody who specializes in looking at the education, training, and experience and popping out like a two-page report that says here are three other jobs this person can do that Bruce can do given all of his ongoing health issues given what his his background is and they will make that assumption about that commensurate wage they'll they'll reduce it from what Bruce was actually earning over 30 years working as a letter carrier and so there's not a lot Bruce could do with that process because the onus is on the insurer legally speaking for them to actually do that analysis they have to do it They have to do it and they have to identify other jobs that he could reasonably do. And if at the end of that analysis, they don't identify other jobs and they cut them off anyway, you know what I'm going to say? You've got to start a legal claim, Bruce. Do not bandy about with the insurer with all the different things that they're going to try and suggest to you, push you back to work again. I don't know, you know, appeal, all these other things that they may suggest. I think when you've got such a long history of work with a prior attempt to return already two attempts at physiotherapy and rehabilitation, and he's still not in a a state where he can comfortably work, whether at his own occupation or another occupation, then I think the writing's on the wall that the insurer should be continuing disability benefits. But you know they're going to try hard, John, to cut him off, right? And so when you're in this critical phase, you want to be cooperative with the insurer. I, I give him a lot of credit that he's continuing with their therapy process. And you want to you know, participate in providing your, you know, education background and so on. But the most important thing is to make sure that there is current medical information available to the insurer as they're doing this, what's called change of definition analysis, because that has to be taken into consideration by the insurer when they start making assumptions about what is your capacity to work. So don't just assume that this information is something that the insurance company has or that they're actually going to get, because it's better for them if they don't get it, actually. So you want to make sure that you're spoon-feeding this kind of thing. So when you're in this critical process, as you're moving towards this two-year mark, make sure that your doctor is properly documenting all of the ongoing symptoms. And even if you've plateaued from a health perspective, have the doctor say that. And make sure that the doctor is commenting on not only Bruce's capacity to return back as a letter carrier, but in any setting, any job setting, any capacity. You want it to be responsive to this other definition for disability so that the insurance company has this in hand. Now, I can't promise or assure Bruce that the insurance company is going to continue those benefits. And I've said already that if they cut them off, this is a good basis 
for us to challenge the insurer. But at the end of the day, if he has done everything to cooperate with them, to provide the medical information, to secure the doctor's advice that he should remain off work and he's not capable of working, well, then that makes an excellent basis for us to challenge the insurer for more benefits on his behalf. And he certainly shouldn't feel that pressure to go back to work again when his doctor has already said no. You want to follow your own medical advice around what to do in situations like this, especially if this has been a process already for, sounds like a long time, with multiple attempts to rehabilitate, and frankly, he not having made enough progress to then actually be successful to return to work. Even though I understand the financial pressures around that, there's a reason why these disability policies are there. They are meant to provide quote-unquote, peace of mind for individuals to provide that monthly income that's required so that people can do what they need to do is to preserve their health and to make sure that they're not putting themselves in a work situation that's just going to simply harm them. And the courts have agreed with this as well, John. So he is on good footing as far as I'm concerned. But if there are any issues as he approaches the change of definition and he's cut off, he should give us a call. Bruce, appreciate you reaching out. Here's that number as we get into a break. I might have a question on the other side about Bruce's uh, as well tomorrow, but we got a break first, so we'll do that. Uh, but Bruce, yeah, one 821 5900 Now that you've sent the email, take the next step and have an actual conversation with tomorrow and your team. It'll, it'll do you some good for sure and get some more answers. And we'll continue with more of your questions and emails here on the Disability Law Show after a short break. So hang in there and we're, uh, we're coming right back with more. You bet, Disability Law Show, some time to go. So you can always send along even without the hour of the show uh, being broadcast wherever you are. You can always fill us up with some more emails. We'll try to get to them in a future show. They'll be answered regardless, but uh, how do you do that? Help at disabilityrights.ca or go right to the phone call with Tamar and her team, one 821 5900 you know before the break we were talking about bruce's email and uh you know back and forth on ltd now he says you know we, we assume 33 years as a letter carrier yeah he's having uh you know knee hip and back issues no kidding um 33 years assuming that he's at least late 50s and pushing 60 is there a chance that insurance company without being cut off of course they'll say you know what you got a couple years left your policy probably ends at six thousand or at least when you're 65 here is a lump sum bruce to get you off our back and will that be a paltry amount if he decides to consider that what do you think that's a really good question john and yes i have absolutely seen insurers try and buy people off right at this phase and so, you know, could he be 55? Could he be 58? Absolutely. And and you're right that these disability policies will typically pay individuals until they're 65. But insurers don't want to pay people until they're 65 really? because then they're paying out those amounts and not necessarily getting premiums for that. Why? Because when you're approved for LTD, there is a section in the policy that says that if you are totally disabled, you can get a waiver for the premium for the LTD benefit. So now the insurer is paying out and not getting anything in for people like Bruce. And so the value proposition doesn't make sense for insurers if they do that on a regular basis, even though they should. But more directly to your point, I mean, I think, you know, the buyout. So there are some insurers who do this readily. They actually have a team who will write letters and say, okay, we have looked at your situation. We've looked at your claim. You know, we think that you are potentially entitled so we're going to give you this amount uh, and, you know, if in exchange for that, you're going to sign away your rights, you're going to sign a release and you're going to, we're going to wash our hands of you. And so the times that I have seen these buyouts being proposed, John, 
And I would say 100% of the time when I have seen these buyouts proposed, they are always less, sometimes much less than what people are fully entitled to receive if they just stayed on claim. And so what's the incentive there? As I said, it's it's pure profit, guys. It's just math, right? They, they don't want to have to pay out. If they assess that you may or are likely to remain until you're age 65, if they can give you an amount ahead of time right now that looks like a big amount, they may tempt you to accept it and then sign off on the balance of what may be payable to you. And look, this is a case-by-case situation, right, John? And so people do come to us. We, we have consultations about these buyouts. And we always talk to people about, look, what could be your potential entitlements? What is going to be potentially payable to you? Where are you from a health perspective? Do you want to be rid of the insurer, right? There's so many considerations at play. But in my mind, very rarely do I see these buyouts make sense for anyone. Because why would you allow the insurer to prematurely pay you off for less than what you may be entitled to? I think you're better off just seeing it through. Let them cut you off if that's what it's going to take. But if that's what it's going to take, then by all means, we can pursue the full amount, right? And we will. And so look, I recognize that in a situation like that, there are legal fees involved. Yes, we work on contingency. So we only get paid if we are successful in actually getting money on behalf of our clients. But at the end of the day, you want to take these buyouts very seriously and deal with them very carefully because you are giving up rights. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that when the insurer presents them this big number with lots of zeros and it looks great and you think, okay, this is going to be fantastic. But at the end of the day may mean that you're leaving five, seven, eight years of LTD benefits on the table because they're not making you whole on that basis. So if you are broached by the insurer for some kind of advance payment or a lump sum payment and you're not really sure what to do, don't hesitate to contact us. We'll talk you through it and really take you through the three or four considerations or factors that are really at play to making this decision. And part of that, of course, and I sound like a broken record, but it's true. Part of it, of course, is to assess your health with your doctor. Because if you're not expected to return to work for the foreseeable future, then the LTD benefits should continue and a bio may not make sense in a situation like that. Good stuff. Well answered, my friend. Appreciate that. Uh, move down to Zach now. Again, an email from help at disabilityrights.ca. It says, uh, tomorrow my disability insurance provider recently told me that they are putting my claim on a maintenance. I've been getting LTD benefits for three and a half years. They used to call or email all the time, but I haven't heard anything from them for, for almost six months now. They made me attend an IME, an independent medical examination, which confirmed that I am unable to work and their doctor said I have reached maximum medical recovery. Can you please explain to me what maintenance means? <laughs> Zach, I'd be happy to. Okay, what does maintenance mean? Uh, it means that they are not actively adjudicating your claim. Okay, so what does that mean? It means they are not going to call you all of the time. They, are, they have determined that you are likely to remain on claim for the duration until you turn 65, exactly what we were just talking about. But they can't just set it and forget it, okay? So they will need to have touch points with you, Zach, occasionally. Some insurers will do this once a year. Others will do it twice a year. They need to know that you're alive and ticking, of course. And they need to continue to make sure that you actually do remain disabled and not capable of working. Because if you have returned back to work, 
obviously then you're not entitled to LTD benefits, right? And so, look, some insurers, John, will use this term maintenance or what's called long duration to put people in categories where they're going to continue the LTD benefit, but they need to make sure that it's warranted, okay? But they don't want to necessarily have an adjuster who's doing the adjudication that we normally see, the review that we normally see, which includes phone calls with the claimant, updated medical information, lots of questions. You know, like he said, I think he, they sent him to an examination because all of that costs time and money and energy, all the things that insurers don't necessarily want to do. When there's an acceptance, at least by, from the insurer's perspective, that the health issues are unlikely to change, the treatment's going to not affect anything, that people are in the zone of unlikely to be continuing to work um, at all until their age of retirement. And so I think for Zach, what I would do is continue to cooperate with the adjuster, but just remain mindful that it does just because you're on maintenance doesn't mean it's a guarantee. It is a monthly benefit that the insurer will release month over month, and they are required to do these check-ins. And if anything changes in your situation, they are still at liberty to cut you off, unfortunately. So if that were to happen, hopefully your very next call would be to us. Appreciate it, Zach. We're going to take a short break and bounce over to MyDisabilityQuestions.com after the break. You can also use that anytime as well. Again, MyDisabilityQuestions.com and the phone number anytime, one 821 5900 Lots more of the Disability Law Show is just ahead. Stay with us. We got a few minutes to go here on the Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the show uh, this round, and if you want to send along some correspondence, you have questions of your own, no problem. A couple different ways. Uh, help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we use. And this website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Or phone call. You want to talk to tomorrow and your team directly, one 821 5900 Okay, here we go. From, uh, as mentioned, mydisabilityquestions.com tomorrow. Uh, I was on short-term sickness for six months. And I've been in LTD for the last four years. I have not received an increase in my monthly payment for the last three years. The union has received increases in pay in 2022, 2023, and again, early 2024, just now. Uh, my work LTD plan states, persons receiving benefits shall receive the same increases to their benefit level as do the employees covered by the terms and conditions of this collective agreement receive in wage increases. Is there usually a delay in getting the raise on my LTD? Thank you very much. It's in writing. They should get it, right? Yes, they should get it. Absolutely, they should get it. Based on what this person has described that the policy says in the collective agreement, yes, they absolutely should get it. So for our listeners, let's let's provide some context on this. Disability benefits, it's an interesting one because it typically is set by by virtue of what your earnings level was at the time that you stop working as a result of your health, okay? Right. And so for this individual, it looks like it's about four and a half years ago. And so he or she, whatever they were earning at that time, would have been the basis for the earnings calculation to calculate what the LTD benefit is going to be. And as we say time and again on the show, usually that's about two thirds, 66.67% of what you're earning, or it could be some sophisticated calculation. John, some insurers will do lots of math, right? It's like 50% on the first 2,500 bucks and then 40% on the rest. Anyway, for the purposes of our listeners, it's a calculation. And the key being that the earnings are set from that time. However, there are instances where it can change. 
And one of the two big ways is whether you have a cost of living adjustment or whether you have a term like this that's tied to your collective agreement. And so let's talk about the cost of living adjustment first. Some people have that option under their plans for LTD that they get a yearly increase based on either the inflation rate or some preset rate with the employer and the insurer, 2%, 3%, to have that LTD benefit increase. And so it can be incredibly helpful to have that because if you think about a person who maybe is on disability as long as this person has, think about how much has changed from an inflation perspective in the past four years, right? We've going through record-breaking inflationary rates. And if your LTD benefit has set and doesn't change, then, you know, that can be problematic as your standard of living changes and you're going to try and continue to make your payments and so on and so forth. So I'm going to be a broker for insurance for a second. If you have the option, folks, to, to get that election for the cost of living adjustment, support the premium. Okay, so I would get it if I'm you. But most people don't have the cost of living adjustment. And this individual, I'm not sure whether they do or they don't, doesn't sound like it, but have now been subject to a retroactive wage increase. So what happens in a situation like that? Well, as they have described, if the policy contemplates it, then by all means, you should get the adjustment. So what do I mean by that? The terms of this contract become very important. And a disability po policy is a contract. It's a contract with words in it that, that they prescribe to and, and the employees prescribe to. And so if in, in it, it says the benefit level can change if the wage changes for a particular employee and you are one of those employees, then there is a very sound basis to go back to the LTD insurer and say, hey, you owe me money retroactively. This, these are the changes now you have to go back to 2022 and 2023 and this year and recalculate what my LTD benefit should be based on the fact that my wages have changed. But you want to be proactive about this, right, John? You don't want to assume that your insurer knows these changes have been made to your wages. And you want to make sure that you're getting an endorsement from your employer to also communicate to the disability insurer that this change has been made. Because some policies will also have a section in it that says, we will take the lesser of what your earnings are as reported by your employer or what your earnings were at the time that you became disabled. And so you don't want to be caught out in a situation where you're leaving money on the table, especially not against the disability insurer as far as I'm concerned. And so if you are, and, and this is very unique, right, John? So this doesn't apply to everyone, but you want to be mindful. How is my benefit calculated? Are there changes that should be applying? What are those changes? You want to know what your coverage is so that if there is more money that's owing to you, you make sure that the insurance company pays it. And with that, I think we'll get to Sharon very quickly here. Uh, one more email says, guys, I've been on LTD for 20 years, 20 years. My primary doctor who has been filling the medical forms will be retiring soon. I'm wondering, can another doctor who has also been listed on my medical forms and regularly treats me fill out the future forms when my family doctor retires? Yes, Jerome. Absolutely. Another wow. doctor can absolutely, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't know where this misunderstanding comes from, John, this idea that it has to be just the one main doctor. And look, I think generally speaking, in my experience with my clients, the family doctor and the one that is most longstanding as Sharon's doctor has been, is usually in the best position to complete these forms yep. and deal with the, the disability insurer and provide the records that are required. 
But by the same token, typically most of my clients have more than one doctor involved in their care or practitioner. Maybe it's a physiotherapist. Maybe it's a psychologist. And those practitioners are also absolutely valid practitioners to complete these forms and supply the information the insurance company needs, especially if you've got a disability that's got other factors at play, other elements that the insurer should know about and should have reporting and medical information from. And so, look, I understand the concern around, you know, doctors retiring. This is an issue across the country, John, and many, many family doctors are retiring and they're just simply not being refreshed. And so there is a crisis going on as far as I'm concerned on, on the availability of family practitioners. By the same token, if you've got access to another doctor and they are in a position where they know your care and can reasonably provide the information that's required, by all means, don't hesitate. Supply that information to your adjuster or insurance company and just offer up the explanation just to say, look, you know, my one doctor is retiring, but my care is going to continue with this other doctor and they've been involved all along. So if you've got any other questions about my health issues, please, by all means, direct them to this new doctor. Sharon, really appreciate you uh, reaching out. Uh, last email we got time for on the show uh, today, but continue that conversation anytime. You can always uh, use the phone. That's for you as well if you've listened over the last hour. We appreciate you sticking around. The email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number we always use, and you can use anytime. It's free. You know, obviously toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. You can also drop questions into the website called mydisabilityquestions.com. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Good stuff. Appreciate you reaching out and your contributions to the show. We'll take it from there and we'll see you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.